Bereshit, Bara, Elohim, Et Hashemayim, Ve'et Ha'aretz. Now repeat after me, please. Bereshit, Bara, Elohim, Et Hashemayim, Ve'et Ha'aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Word of God. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Well, you can be open your Bibles to Genesis 1. You just uh, said together Genesis 1-1 in Hebrew. And uh, we just enjoy doing that. Um, better sheet, is, if you notice a similar sound, bara is to create. Better sheet is a derivative of bara saying out of nothing created, created God. Elohim created all things out of nothing is what it says. And then the very first word you say is um, ha, uh, Hashemayim. Ha in Hebrew means the. So it's the heavens. Shemayim is heavens. And and that's the uh, little word in between. Ha the earth aritz where we get our word A-R-I-D arid or land. And so in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So now you know a little bit of Hebrew and I heard uh, little ones over there even going along with that. So that was good. So be open to Genesis 1. Pastor Bobby was talking about those keys. I used to have a little joke book taken off from uh, uh, Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck If. And it was You Might Be a Pastor If. You have more keys than the middle school janitor. All right. We, we have a lot of keys. And uh, I agree with him. We don't need any more. So here you take the old one. But um, we're in Genesis 1. Uh, and two today uh, last week I started this sermon called it the artist and crazy me I thought I could get through two chapters I usually can't get through two verses so I don't know what I was thinking so uh, we just stopped in the middle and I'm picking it back up so I'm just calling this the artist part two but it's chapter two it's and and there are some people that say oh they're contradictory and all that which they are not it is just a further explanation it's a different way of saying it Plus, it is just filling out what God did. Chapter 1 is day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4. This is what he created. Chapter 2 gives a little bit more personal view of how God did it and, and a little bit of the reason why he did it. So, uh, what I said last week, I want you to remember this week, which is that God does perfect work still. God is still doing his work perfectly in us. And, uh, and so, what we lost is regained in Christ. And so I want you to understand that. So we're going to go to chapter 2. And I just want to read uh, one verse out of chapter 2. I taught Sunday school after the first service. So if I drink a lot, that's why. Um, but look at verse 4 of chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is sort of like a title for everything that follows. And in reality, it, it applies to the whole scripture. This is how God did it. The Bible is a book of history. Have you ever noticed what the word history sounds like? We took one S out, but it's sort of like his story. It's God's story of the world. Well, this title here is chapter 2 verse 4 is a title. This is a history, if you will. A, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day that the Lord God. Now notice that. It goes from God to Lord God. And there's a reason. It goes from Elohim to Yahweh. 
We, we really don't know how to pronounce all those words. These are the ways we pronounce them now. Uh, we could be wrong a little bit in how they're pronounced because they didn't, have, they didn't have vowels. They only had consonants. So we don't know what consonants, what vowels they use. But that when it says the Lord God, it's saying Yahweh made the heavens, the earth and the heavens. So we have this more personal account of what God did and that word, I, I told you as we were learning that little bit of Hebrew, that that word ha means the. It's going to become very important in this text in just a moment. So this is a history of, the, of mankind, the beginning of the history of mankind. It's not a different account, as I said, but rather it is an expansion of the details in the first account. And, it, and we get that out of that word generations. This is the generations. This is the beginning and then what God is going to do uh, beginning here. So the first thing I want you to catch here is that man is made with a personal touch. In, in Genesis 1, every time it says God said and it was. God said and it was. God said as it, and it was. In chapter 2 we learn that animals were also made of the dust of the ground. God spoke but they, they were formed out of the dust of the ground. But man is still different because God forms us with his very hands and breathes into us life. And so when we, we start off now in, in uh, well, we include verse 2, uh, verse 4, but uh, it goes on. But I want, before we get into that, look back in chapter 2 and the first couple of verses, first few verses. It says that God rested on the seventh day. And I pointed out last week, and I just want to enter into that same place that in Genesis 2, it doesn't use the same terms as it did up to every other day where he said evening and morning was that number day. First day, second day, third day. When it came to the seventh day, it doesn't say it. Now, we obviously know an evening happened and there was a day after that. And there have been day, uh, days ever since until the end of time there will be. That the earth will keep spinning. We'll keep having a day every day. But... The, that point has been a little bit spiritualized. When we come to Christ and, and our sins are forgiven and we, become to, we get to know God, that we enter into the rest of God. We no longer have to strive. Our eternity is settled. I don't have to strive anymore. God, in fact, gives me strength through the Holy Spirit comes to live in me to live that life and I enter his rest then. I don't have to, I have to strive in this world. Things go on. I have to do things. But I no longer have to worry about heaven and hell. It is settled when I have surrendered my life to God and he comes to live with me. So in a sense, we've already entered that rest. And in Revelation, we read John telling us that when we get there, there will be no sun or moon. Because God is the light of that place and there is no more night. There, evening has passed. And so we will have an eternal day with God. And I, I look forward to that. Well, God created man with a personal touch. Look at verse 5. That when there was no bush of the field, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. So we, we see here just a summation that, got, that it's saying there was nothing there, nothing yet. 
there was no man to tend plants if they were here, so he hadn't made them yet. So he makes them in a certain order, and he made the plants, and actually made the plants before he made the sun, uh, but he made the plants, and then later on he makes man to take care of this creation that he has made. And so it's just, those verses are just a summation of chapter 1, in a sense. And then he says uh, that, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature so we see that God makes man with this personal touch there was no garden there's no rain there's no man to work in a garden so God takes and he gathers up some dirt and he makes this I guess a clay figure of a man that's how I imagine it in my head but he makes a man and then it says he breathed into his nostrils Someone else said, and I just like this picture, so I repeat it a lot, that God literally has kissed us. He kisses Adam and breathes into him life. And so the life of God enters into man. Now, I, I want to point something out early here. And so I want you to, I want you to see this in, in verse 5 and 6 and 7. It says uh, that there was no man, Adam, to work the ground that's what it literally says there was no Adam to work the ground the name Adam means man but it also has a broader sense of mankind look at uh, uh, right and and so verse 8 and a mist was going up from the land and then verse 7 so the Lord God Yahweh formed Adam again the same word from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature this word here is the man. It is ha-adam. It is the man. It's very specific. The, word, the name Adam, that word means mankind. It means any man. It means all men. But here God gives it to the first man as the name. We, that is culturally something that we say today. Oh, you're the man. Well, Adam is literally the man. There is no other man here. He is the man. That's the only one here. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a singular word. It just means that this is the, the name God gave him. But there's something else about that. He is the man because he is, it's, this is the legal term, the titular head of all of mankind. What Adam does is going to pass down to every generation after him. So Adam becomes the representative of all of mankind. He is the man, literally the man. And what he does is going to affect every person born after him. And so when Adam and Eve, after they fall, next chapter, we won't get there today. But I'm going to have to fight myself not to get there to explain all this. But after they fall, the second Adam is their first son. Jesus is called the last Adam. Because we had two Adams. We had the Adam in Genesis. And then Jesus becomes the titular head of a new race. That race is called. I'm let y'all tell me. What is that new race called? There's several, there's several words for it. What did you say? Yeah, well, we were already human, but Jesus is the head of what race? Christians, saints. He becomes the head of a new race. We are born in, again in his image. We, 
last week, last Sunday night, we talked about Calvinism. And the Bible says we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are a new, we are born again into the kingdom of God, to a new race. We are not of this world. We are strangers and aliens in this land. We are already seated in heavenly places in Christ. All those are Bible verses I'm saying. I'm quoting to you. We do not belong here anymore. This, this place was made for us, but, but now it, we are strangers in this place because this place has fallen, and though we were fallen, now we've been made saints. We, we live in another realm. We live in the realm of the Spirit of God. And so God made man with his hands and breathed into him this breath of life. And I want you to catch that it is the man. But then God gives the man a job. I like that, don't you? God intended for men to work. Look at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put a man, put the man, I'm sorry, whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant sight and good for food. Doesn't mean he did it after he put Adam there. He's already planted the garden. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to notice God made a special garden for Adam. Now, I, I do wonder about that a little bit because God gives Adam this job to tend this garden. It's probably the easiest job God ever gave any man. Because man has not yet fallen, so there's no thorns. There's no weeds. There's nothing hurting the, the plants that are growing. They are growing and producing fruit all the time. But in that garden, God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Okay? You got to hold on to that for a minute. So God gives man this job of tending the garden. And look at verse 10, uh, just so we can locate this a little bit. The river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And there it divided and became four rivers. A river was coming out of Eden. And then it becomes four. We don't know the name of that river. But it becomes four new rivers. The, first, the name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah. Where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Del, Bedlam and Onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris. Which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. We know where two of those are. The Tigris and the Euphrates. We do not know where the other two are. Why not? Well, this is chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Genesis, and plus a little bit more. During the flood, remember last week we learned that God separated the ferment from the ferment. He took water off the face of the earth. He made it a greenhouse. One constant temperature around the whole world. High humidity. That's why it didn't have to rain. Uh, a whole lot of things were different. When the water fell in, the Bible over there in those other chapters says that the fountains of the deep broke up. In other words, continents rose and fell. Now, a lot of people read Genesis and they say, see, Moses was copying other ancient stories when he wrote the book of Genesis. But they got that exactly backwards. Those stories are copying the true story. Because Moses lets us know what actually happened. And those things disappeared. I'll just give you a quick example. Everybody heard of a little place called Atlantis? Well, Atlantis is supposed to be this place and it was perfect and great and wonderful and now it's underwater. Isn't that where merpeople mer live, right? If y'all are into that. No, this is just coming out of the fact that 
There used to be two more rivers over there, but now it's just an ocean. <laughs> we don't know what happened to that place that was there. It's just gone. And so God puts man in that garden and tells him to take care of it. He gives him that job. And he gives him the job to tend the garden. Easiest job ever. Because it's just growing food. It's like, do I need to pull weeds? No, no weeds. <laughs> Got to plow? No, because they keep producing. It never stops producing because it's a constant greenhouse. And so all Adam had to do was, everything looks good. I think I'll eat a piece, you know, and takes off a fruit and starts eating it. Man didn't eat animals then. They just ate vegetation that grew. So, so Adam has it made in the shade. Now he's a perfect man in a perfect place. And yet he messes up. We'll come to that next week. But God gave man, he created him with a personal touch, and then he gave him a job. Take care of this garden. Then he gives him a command. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, notice in that, God did not tell him not to eat of the tree of life. We're thankfully did not. We'll see this later next week. In fact, I'll just leave it there. But he specifically says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't want man to even know what that is. Man is truly in a time where he has no knowledge of something's good or evil. And God has him where he is a perfect man. He, he only knows one thing he shouldn't do. Now there's another little, I kind of like that saying. You had one job and you messed it up, man. You know, you are now in trouble. God said you will die. And of course, like many of us, we... We're always heard, don't sin, you know, and, and people think God's going to get you. And then you commit a sin and no lightning bolt hits you. You think, oh, I got by with it. No, you didn't. God saw that. When Adam sinned, death came upon man. And God promises that right here. Don't eat that tree. You got everywhere else. And the reason I, I started this by saying, I, I get a little confused about this because the whole world was like the Garden of Eden. So why do you have to make a special garden and put man there? Man could have gone anywhere in the world. There was vegetation growing in Siberia. There was vegetation growing in Antarctica. He could have gone anywhere because it was one big greenhouse. But God gave him a location, a place, said, this is your place, take care of this place. I guess God intended for them to have children, children to go and have other places around the world and they take care of it. But we know that Adam messes up next week. We'll see that he messed up. So God gives him command, don't eat that tree. Because when you eat of it, now it's going to bring death upon you. And we know that he does, and that death passes upon all men. There is no death before that. If, if you happen to believe in theistic evolution, there ought to be a whole bunch of monkeys and stuff still alive because they were before man fell. Call that common sense. The fall brought death. There was no death before the fall. Just catch that, okay? We'll get that next week. I keep saying that because I keep going to next week. <laughs> Look at verses 18. God gives him one other thing. He gives him a mate. He gives him a, he, he makes him with a personal touch. He gives him a job. He gives him command. Then he gives him a mate. Look at verse 18. And that mate was to help him. I, and I want you to follow this carefully. Look at verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I want to help you with something. People always say, help mate or help meet. 
Help meet is in the King James Bible. That word meet in 1611 meant this, fit or good. The ESV fixes it, a helper fit for him. In other words, a woman is fit to help man to complete, to make a, a one. I, I should maybe not use the word complete, but a helper that is fit for him. And so that is what a, a married couple are. It goes both ways. Man was created first, but the man is fit for the woman, and the woman is fit for the man. It's best illustrated just by a pair of scissors. A, a pair of scissors, it's two scissors. That's why we call them scissors. It's a scissor and a scissor that scissors, and they cut things, okay? And they work in harmony. But if I put a cloth scissor with a pruning, uh, you know, like you prune your bushes with, that ain't going to work because it's not fit for each other. It wasn't made for each other. It is not perfect for each other. God intended for a man and woman to fit together to accomplish his will in this world. But I want you to notice that God sees the need for man. Now, do you think God went, oh, look, we forgot something. We made, we made Adam, but we didn't make a helper for him, and all the other animals have helpers. They've got mates. So we better do that. In fact, what follows that sentence that in verse 18 that the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone it seems like he goes off on a tangent because the next thing it says so out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to the man see what he'd call them what <laughs> you just said it wasn't good for him to be alone now all of a sudden you're telling me that he brings all the animals to Adam to name well I want you to hold on to that because there's something cool there and whatever man called every living creature that was his name and the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper, there's that word, fit for him. Now, I, I want you to think about something about Adam. How would you like God to come to you and say, even though there are many, many species that are now extinct on the earth, you're back and you're Adam and every species that's ever been on the earth is alive. And he's going to march them by you and you're going to give all of them a name. Adam was one smart dude. His brain was not affected by sin. He's, he's, right, he's fresh off creation. God has given him an intellect and, and a knowledge that is far beyond any living person we know or have known since him. There's been nobody smarter than Adam. And, and all of a sudden God says, Okay, I'm going to march these animals by. Tell me what you want to call them. Elephant, tiger, rhinoceros. I don't know, platypus. That's a weird looking one. You know... And he's just naming them as they come by. Eagle, hawk, falcon. What kind of? Well, that one's a bald eagle. That one's a golden eagle. That one. He's naming them like that. That's amazing. But why would God do that? Because God knew Adam needed a mate. He wanted Adam to know he needed a mate. That's why he did it. And look what it says right after that. And so the man gave names to all these animals. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And he, while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God makes Adam aware that he has a need for a, someone to help him. And out of all those animals, nothing was good enough to be fit for Adam. And so God creates a woman. Now I want you to pause there for a minute. Look back in chapter 1 at verse 27. 
So God created man in his own image. That is mankind. In the image of God, he created him, all of mankind. Male and female, he created them. I, I, want, you to be, I want you to be Bible believers. I want you to be people that believe the, what the Bible says. But I want you to know what the Bible says. And that is this. Men and women are made in the image of God. One is not made in the image of God and the other is an afterthought. We are together in the image of God. That means everything, every characteristic that you think of as male or female is present in God. But God has revealed himself as father. And Jesus came and he was a male. The Bible doesn't speak about the Holy Spirit in a way we can figure it out because we don't even know the Holy Spirit's name. He's just got the title, the Holy Spirit or the other comforter. It's the only thing we know the Holy Spirit by. So we, we don't know how he reveals himself because words have gender. People do not. People have sex. And I don't mean it the way that could be interpreted. God made us male, that sex, and female, that sex. And they fit each other. They are both in the image of God. And God's plan was for men and women to fit with one another and to reflect the very image of God because God is three persons in one God. We are two persons in one relationship. In fact, we'll go back to chapter 2 and you're going to see a little bit more about that. So I want you to look at that. Because Adam gets it. Adam understands. Man, when he, because look what happens. He wakes up. God brings a woman to the man, and, and Adam goes, hot dog. No, that's not what he said. He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He goes, at last. Yes, that's what I've been missing. And I want you to understand the word here is not Adam and Eve. It is Ish and Isha. This is a more common word. Just, he says, you're a whoa man because you were taken out of man. That's what he said. You are Isha because you came out of Ish. You were taken from me. And so Adam recognizes you're a part of me. We belong together. We're supposed to be together. Adam gets the whole picture. And we see that just in what he says right away. And then God lets us know. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I want you to see this. God made a man and a woman. He brought them together. And that's all God ever did. God made male. God made female. Period. Anything that, alt that an alternate to that is sin. Anything. And by the way, one sin isn't worse than another when it comes to all that. Like we, we love to point our finger at people that do it differently than us and talk about them. But we don't want to talk about how we do it wrong. And so you can't say, oh, those are worse because you know, I would never do that. No, I'll do this. Listen, anything that makes you unfaithful to your spouse, anything that causes you to, to not give them a, the affection that 
God intends for them to have from you to, to take care of each other and to love each other and to work together with each other. Anything that alters that or hurts that is sin and is just as, as bad in the sight of God as maybe the worst thing you can think of. But I'll tell you this, that God made you a male and a female and you ought to rejoice in what God made you to be. And find out from the Bible what that means. Find out from the scripture, what does it mean to be a male and to be a female, to be in the image of God. God has given us himself and his attributes so that we can function in those separate roles that he's given us. One's not better than another, one's not greater than another, they're just different. And God created us that way for his purpose so that we could see it it is the divine order for mankind now you're saying if well if if somebody's single does that mean that they're not fully you know capable well Paul was single the apostle Paul he had a wife at some time but it seems like he was single after he knew Christ so we don't know if she died or what but he had to be married because he used to vote against Christians and you couldn't be on the council to cast a vote unless you were married So Paul at one time had a wife. But he was single. You can still fulfill. And Paul even says, remain like me if you can. Some people are called to singleness. After whatever happened with Paul's wife, he was called by God not to remarry. So he didn't. But he says, but you can't stand that. Go ahead and get married. Don't don't let yourself get hurt with that. And and so I, I just want you to catch hold of what God is telling us in Genesis. That God made male, praise God. God made female, praise God. And together we're both in the image of God. Y'all, somebody help me. Amen? Man, may we stay separate and different. That's God's intention. God, God wants to give us grace. He tells the husbands, live your, with your wife in an understanding way. Because we are dumb and dull and we don't get it tells a wife to honor her husband because they look at him and go come on man can't figure that out no they honor and together we love God together we we help each other we we come to glorify God together better than we can separately so many times I've told you this before I talk to young people wanting to get married ask them why do you want to marry that person in particular and they give me dumb answers like I love them bad answer You ought to marry them because together you can serve God better together than you can separate. So if you're not married, don't seek a mate. Seek to be the best mate someone could ever have. And you can do that while you're still single. You can do that after you're married too, but you ought to be getting ready for that. We're we're out there looking for somebody. Well, how do you know what to look for until you know what God made you to be? Right? Right? And here in Genesis 2, we see this order that God gave us. And when we alter that order in any way, it is sin. And so we live in a society today that when we say this is sin, people want to yell at us and call us a bunch of bad names. Friend, anytime we have, Jesus brought it to a new level. He said, If you've looked on someone not your mate with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's sin. If you watch that television show or that movie or read that book or that magazine or internet or whatever, and you are cheating on your mate, that's as bad a sin as anything else you want to name. 
But the language here is very specific. God made a man, and later he made a woman. And we do see the qualities of both in God, but God reveals himself as masculine, but he's our father. But I'm just telling you that the two of us together complete that image of God uh, in, in a way that, that God intended. So last week I, I gave you this, but I want to give it to you again. You need to know your worth in the picture of God creating you as he did Adam and Eve. The way that God created Adam and he created Eve, and that's, she's the mother of all, all mankind, that's why she's called Eve. God created them in the image of God. God wants you, in Psalm 139, he says that he is in your mother's womb, knitting your parts together to make you what you are. That's how you know what God made you to be. You look in a mirror. And if he made you be a man, rejoice in that. If he made you be a woman, rejoice in that. God's got specific roles for you, a specific duty. And know that God sees you as his own, that you are created in his image. And we are to be the image bearers of God in this world. And then know that God's given you a job to do as well. God gave you a job. I don't know what it is. It's not tending the Garden of Eden, I know that. But God gave you a job as well. He gave you something to do because he made you to do that job. He made Adam and Eve to do that job. They messed up. They failed at it. But God has a specific job for you. And so know that God has that for you. And listen, wherever you are is your Garden of Eden. Wherever you are is the job God has given you. And then lastly, be the man I put or be the person God made you to be for others. Be, be what God made you to be, but for other people. God didn't mean for Adam and Eve to, to be alone. He meant for them to reproduce, multiply, fill the earth. But God wants us to give. That's why it says there, for a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. There comes a time when, when our children grow up and now it's time for them to leave. We got three children all married and gone. I get that, that feeling of they're gone. But that's, that's our job. Because you're going to die, man. <laughs> and then they're going to get old and they're going to die. And that's how it keeps going. And so God made you to minister and to serve other people. Because God wants to bring people into the family of God. He wants people that are born in the image of Adam to be born again in the image of God. I want you to catch that. That God has put men and women together not only to be image bearers of God, that produce children that become image bearers of God, but that we help those who are outside of this family of faith to know that they can come into the family of faith if they repent of their sin and turn to God and say yes to him. He'll fix anything that's messed up in your life. He will give you the strength to overcome. He will make you righteous by the righteousness of Christ. And he will give you what you need. The gospel can transform you. The gospel is extremely transformative. I, just this morning, I, I'm, not on, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Um, Janice is. I'm not. That, that doesn't mean anything bad. She just, she does. And, and I, I was looking at hers, and I saw where my friend had posted something someone else had posted. It was a, it's what we call a meme. But I want you to hear what it said. L listen to this. The Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That's how the gospel works. And I don't know what you've done or think you've done, but I know this, that Christ is the answer. That, 
that fallen man, he restores us to that original. He is going to produce his image in us that we, we will look like Jesus in this world. In 1 John it says, as he is, so we are in this world. God has redeemed us. He's made us brand new. He's put us in the fellowship of faith. And he calls us to honor God by our very life. Adam and Eve, man, they, had, they were the only ones that had it easy. They were doing good to leave Adam out of house and home. But anyway, God made them with a purpose and with a job to do. But God knew. God had it all planned out. He had it so that we can now know him by faith. And we come to him and we just repent of our sin. And so if you're confused about anything in your life and, or you think that you've done so much sin, God can't save you. Yes, he can. All it takes is repentance, turning away from your sin and turning to him and giving him everything, surrendering your whole life to him. And I don't know if you're online or in this room, but if God's called you to do that, I pray you do that today. Would you pray with me? Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the love that you have given us, for all the, uh, all the things that you have done for us. Lord, we know that we were born in the likeness of Adam, broken, fallen, in a mess, headed to hell. But Lord Jesus, you came in the likeness of sinful flesh and took and put that body on a cross, taking the handwriting that was against us and took it out of the way, bearing it to a cross and paying the penalty of death for us so that we can now come to you and be restored and be made into the image, uh, remade in the likeness of Christ into the image of God. Lord, you made all men to be that. We see mankind marred by our enemy. And we see the struggles that people have. God, may we love them. May we, our hearts break for them. Because they do not know the life giver. And the one who can come and restore what the enemy has stolen. That Lord, they can be made pure and right and holy in your sight. And then you strengthen us to obey your will. Lord, we never could keep rules. Adam started off by showing us that. And no matter how many laws and rules that we have given by men or by God, we can't keep them. Lord, we need the grace and the power of Jesus Christ in our life. And so, Lord, we pray for that. We ask that we would depend upon your power and depend upon your grace. And Lord, I pray right now, people are listening online or in this room, God, if they need you, Lord, speak to them. Holy Spirit, do the work that you said you came to do, which is to convince men of of rights, convict men of, of righteousness and, and judgment to come and convict us of our sin. And so, Lord, if anyone needs you, I pray right now you would touch their heart, touch their mind, make them realize their need and that they would repent and turn to you. Lord, we know that there are people that you want to save. Lord, we're asking you right now to save them. Lord, we release that power. We ask you in Jesus' name to use us to speak of your grace and truth to them. And Lord, if anyone is struggling, Lord, let them know that, that you have already paid the price. Indeed, you've won the, battle, you've won the war, even though we are fighting a battle that we sometimes lose. You have won the war, and you give us grace to overcome. And Lord, we overcome by not giving in to the, to the lure of sin, the lure of this world, as we call it. But Lord, you've made us to be holy and righteous before you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name that we would be the people of God, that we would 
have children who we raise to be people of God. And that, Lord, we would trust you and depend upon you, that in you we would find our full identity and who we are. In Jesus' name, amen.